Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the judicious Jim Anderson, the marvelous Michael Beck Esperum, and the brassy Bob Quack. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Alex Thomas from Green Ronin and Untold Stories Project. Since this whole episode is going to be chatting with Alex about who he is, we're going to skip our get to know a gnome question, because he's not a gnome yet, and move right into our interview. As a quick disclaimer, this opportunity to interview Alex came up because he is in town visiting, and I was able to tie him down in the office and make him talk on the mics with me. That's entirely true. The gnomes are actually very persuasive with their pitchforks. Yes, they're very sharp. It's Gulliver's travel style. Yes. So, Alex, tell us who you are. Uh, I'm Alex Thomas. I'm the line developer for Mutants and Masterminds at Green Running Publishing. I'm the author of the Titan City Chronicles, and I am the executive producer over at the Untold Stories Project, as well as an aspiring Kryptonian and a professional, full-time, all-life nerd. <laughs> um, I've been a game master now for 22 years. That feels weird to say. Which, considering, you know, the difference in our ages, that's a significant amount of time to be be a GM. Yeah, my dad got us started when I was 11 with the third edition Dungeons & Dragons box set because he and his friends were always playing, and he said, if you want to learn how to play D&D, you have to teach yourself because I'm not going to do it. And uh, when you get good at it... <laughs> Thanks, you can play Dad. With, yeah, when you get good at it, you can play with us. My friends and my brothers and I, we all opened the box. We found out that there was a role called Dungeon Master, and they all stared at me and said I had to do it. I was uh, not brave enough to tell them no, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> so it was mostly like 3.0 back in the day? Yeah. I started off with Dungeons & Dragons 3.0 and 3.5. When 4th edition came out, I did do some 4th edition, but by then I had been in the convention circuit for a little while, mm -hmm. uh, attending mostly Origins, and getting to play some Call of Cthulhu, getting to play some Vampire, The Masquerade, some other things that piqued my interest. And I picked up Mutants & Masterminds on a prototype virtual tabletop in 2011 called inferno.net i-n-f-r-n-o.net i had some friends who were like i want to play dc adventures that's what it was at the time and i was like i love superheroes it's my favorite genre i got into playing with them i got to do a couple of small campaigns with them and i was like this is my game this is what i'm gonna play from now on yeah i get that i totally get that tell us a little bit about untold stories project yeah. And actually, which came first? You working with Green Ronin or Untold Stories Project? Green Ronin by large margin. Okay. I started freelancing for Green Ronin Publishing in 2012. I, That's actually way longer than I realized. Yeah, I did that for about 10 years before Crystal asked me to be her assistant. And then when Crystal stepped away to join another company, she asked me to take her position as the line developer for Eminem. It was a lot of freelance writing, a lot of freelance editing for a long time, just taking projects as they came. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of sporadic. I mean, the thing about the RPG industry is when you're working on one game line, you get to put out maybe a book a year, maybe two books a year. I would write stuff in like 2012 and it would come out in 2016 or um, just sort of that long lag time. The way I got into that was because I know that's a lot of things that people want to know when you hear somebody who works in the game industry. How did you get started? I got really lucky. How'd you get rich and famous by making RPGs? Uh, I mean, you didn't. I'm in the middle of two of those things, I guess. <laughs> the bottom end of famous, the very bottom end of rich, I guess. But I got lucky. I was running events at Origins, and in 2012, they did a lottery with their special guests, where they would just sprinkle the special guests into a game. 
And they would tell the GM 15 minutes before it was going to get started. <laughs> and Steve Kenson, the designer of Mutants and Masterminds, was the special guest that year. Who, as a side note, is a very cool person mm-hmm. and has been interviewed on the Gnomecast by Jared, who is usually our gnome interviewer and usually very much better at this. But since Alex is in my house and tied to the chair, I figured we'd just do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no choice. <laughs> But no, Steve is, well, Steve is a beautiful, wonderful human being. If you haven't had a chance to support his work, please go do so. But yeah, Steve, they came up to me 15 minutes before my adventure started, and they said, hey, uh, Steve would like to play Mutants and Masterminds with you. Is that fine? Yes, of course that's fine. Oh, God. Obviously, I'm very prepared and ready for this. I was running a Suicide Squad game that I, I had a one-sentence synopsis of what the adventure was about. <laughs> I had a half-remembered Justice League Unlimited episode, and I had the pre-generated characters. And Steve came on, he played Deadshot in the game, and he had a wonderful time. He got to have a big heroic death scene at the end, fighting a Mazo, which was super cool. And afterwards, as everybody was filtering out, doing that sort of post-con game, hang around, say it was a good time thing, uh, Steve was there, and I was like, hey, Steve, it looked like you had a good time. Could I write for you? Would that be cool? (laughs) And uh, he got me in touch with his editor, John Lighthouser, who uh, asked me to send in a sample. I sent in a sample adventure, and I that was the beginning. Who I've known and the situations I've gotten into have been the chief accelerant of my career. Mm-hmm. Accelerant being used very liberally because it was a 10-year process. Yeah. From... And I mean, it, it is really one of those things where if you know people, it can help get you, you know, yeah. opportunities mm-hmm. to do things. You're still mm-hmm. going to have to live on your talent yep. and your skills, but knowing people can open doors for you to try different things. Yeah, and if you are looking to get into the industry, one of my biggest pieces of advice is to go to conventions, run events, have people say that your adventures are fun, and continue to build your mm-hmm. your skill with running the game and being around people you don't know, so that if a situation like that comes up, you can come across as genuine, not as... Don't be weird, and don't be a jerk. That's <laughs> generally uh, my best advice, um, because the people who are in the industry are always looking for people who can come in and work with us. And and keep practicing your writing. Yes. You have to be a decent writer to do these things. I would recommend having a blog. If the game you enjoy has a community content program, I would recommend writing modules, publishing things on there, just so you can point to these things as almost like a portfolio mm-hmm. when you're approaching people, saying, look, I wrote this module. It has this these reviews. It's got these sales. Because at the end of the day, it's not. it's never about just your talent, just your ability. It's about what the game company can sell, what's marketable, what they're interested in. And I think another thing to, to, to warn folks about is it's not a fast process. Um, I think you, you mentioned that it's you write something this year and maybe it's out next year. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. It could be two years. Um, I've got a couple of things I've written for Green Ronin back in 2018 that still haven't been published. They're coming out next year. So Yeah. Well, granted, there was a global pandemic for three years. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bump in the road. Yeah. So um, tell us about Untold Stories Project. Yeah, so the Untold Stories Project is my actual play channel. I had run a couple of Mutants and Masterminds actual plays for a couple other channels prior to founding my own. And I just, I really liked it. I really like live streaming. I like being able to run a game that has an audience involved. And it's recorded. It's something that is there that I can go back to and almost review like sports tapes, I guess. I got shuffled around a couple of different channels for a year or two. I was like, actually, I think my friends and I could do this. We could, I think, by our powers combined, we can get together and make something. Mm -hmm. And I found some like-minded people, some people who were on a couple of my superhero shows, and we banded together and said, you know what, we're going to make a 
streaming channel for role-playing games that don't get the amount of attention as something like D&D or Pathfinder. Uh, my primary focus is Mutants and Masterminds, as it often has been, but we play all sorts of RPGs that are not as popular as D&D. Andy's run Power Rangers, people ran Low Life on the channel, we've done Star Trek Adventures. Savage Worlds East Texas University. Yes, definitely. Which was a whole lot of fun. I got to be a menace in that game. Pretty much uh, anything. We have a guy who ran a Jurassic Park game using the Modifius Alien RPG rules, which was a ton of fun. Um, I played in that at Origins. It's a really good scenario. It really is. Uh, we've had some Cthulhu. We've had some Cthulhu Awakens on the channel, uh, which is a new uh, Cthulhu RPG coming from Green Ronin next year, I think. You, speaking of other things from Green Ronin, because they don't, they, they do more than Mutants and Masterminds. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the whole age system. Yep. Have you dabbled in any of those, or do you yeah. keep your, your creative focus on Mutants and Masterminds? Uh, most of my work now is just in Mutants and Masterminds, but I have written a couple of source books for Blue Rose. Uh, the Romantic Fantasy Age game, as well as I did write one of the adventures that's coming for Cthulhu Awakens, which uh, is going to be a lot of fun. It's about a uh, group of CIA agents checking out a Mongolian listening post during, or sorry, a Turkish listening post during the Cold War. Uh, And it's sort of an homage to The Thing and other Cold War stories. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah, it's going to be fine. What is Cthulhu Awakens? Is that another age game Mm -hmm. or? Yep, it is. uh, It's a Cthulhu age game set within what we're calling the weird century which there are games that could take place from the 1920s until the 2020s there's a whole span of that having lived through a large chunk of that i can say a lot of weird things have happened yeah it's a weird i mean being alive is weird but being alive is very weird <laughs> the um uh yeah cthulhu awakens focuses on creating a diverse and representative uh, century as well uh, for our setting we step away from the overt racism of hp lovecraft and we focus more on what we call alienation rather than traditional Cthulhu madness. Mm-hmm. Um, being exposed to the mythos in our game causes you to sort of become out of sync with reality and weird things start to happen to you. And it becomes easier for the mythos to influence you. Uh, but it's never, it's not usually about your mental state. It's usually just like you're more susceptible to magic. You're more prone to be out of phase. Like things just get weird. I mean, stuff like that will put you out of sync with society and mm-hmm. result in alienation and, you know, society turning on you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about Green Ronin is our developers, we, we meet every week, uh, once a week, and we all, we all sort of discuss each other's projects. So there is little bits of feedback, little bits of influence from all of us across everything. So nobody's working in a vacuum. No. Because it's, it's, very, it's very easy if you're working in a vacuum to create utter trash and think you have gold. There are many very talented people who have been working in the industry longer than I've been alive who get to tell me if my ideas are good or bad. And that uh, sometimes that hurts, but that's okay. Do you want to do you want to take a second and tell us about your fiction novels? Yeah, sure. I have a couple of different pieces of fiction that I've published. My first book is called The Magician's Sin, which is a fantasy noir story uh, set in my universe, Titan City, which is a world where magic is known to the public, and they're, they're sort of trying to figure out how to deal with that in a 1930s alternate America. Uh, the first book follows an immortal wizard turned monster hunter who is jaded and fed up with existence and wants to put an end to his unnatural life. So his ex-wife gets abducted, and her daughter comes to him and says, please, I need your help to rescue my mom. And he agrees to do it, and in doing so, he finds himself not quite as ready to die as he thought he was going to be. Um, and he has to find his go up against the mob and monsters and all sorts of things before this magical apocalyptic event takes place. So, 
And is tell a lot. me, do you run games in this setting, Alex? I do quite a many. Um, one of the as an RPG writer and a fiction writer, one of my one of my favorite things is settings that have role playing games and have space for all those stories to be told. Um, I find sometimes with fiction, what makes it not stand up as well is when there's not room for any other characters mm-hmm. than the characters in the fiction. Yeah. You can't picture where do I fit in the setting. In complete honesty, I have played some Titan City Chronicles games. In the books, the main character is obviously this wizard. There is room for other characters, mm-hmm. which I think is really what you need to turn a fiction setting into a good role-playing game setting. There are some settings that I don't think make the transition as well because they suffer from main character syndrome mm-hmm. where it's like, well, we're all the extra characters. I guess we're here until the Slayer shows up and saves us. <laughs> or... I, I've, I've had this with... Um, I don't ha- When I run Doctor Who, I don't have this because the Doctor is not a playable character mm-hmm. in my games, but I have seen this happen when I've played in Doctor Who games mm-hmm. and somebody, like the GM, just focuses on what the Doctor wants to do. And yeah. that can work for an episode. It doesn't work at the table. Mm-hmm. And that could be really frustrating for the people yeah. who are not playing the Doctor there. I played a, um, a Daily Planet game uh, with the GM that was really good because it was, the, it was the new staff at the Daily Planet with the characters, and I got to play Clark Kent. And I feel like if anybody else had played Clark Kent, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. Because they were like, I'm Superman. I can do everything. But no, I, it's Clark Kent. I needed to preserve my secret identity. I wanted to make sure that there was opportunities for the other players and characters to shine because it was a new story. It wasn't a superhero story. Right. I think that that's one of those situations where if you have the right combination of player who understands that they need to share the spotlight and need to help facilitate sharing spotlight and a GM who understands they can't just let the guy who's pretending to not be Superman solve all the problems, you can have an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah, and that GM did do he did do some stuff to mitigate that in case I showed up and I was a jerk. Like, he did, at one point, a Red Sun Dome came fell across the Metropolis, so I couldn't have access to my powers. But knowing Superman, I did have some fun things that I could call on that were resources that right. has to, to do the classic thing of, no, I can't be Superman, he's over there. <laughs> and the robot came and did Superman stuff for us. It was cool. <laughs> Um, gaming is such a, it's such a great experience for, for demonstrating like group storytelling and growing through making everybody look better. I I refer to it as the ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. You may have somebody who deserves that Oscar at the end of a game, but the game probably didn't sing unless you're getting that ensemble award they give away at the Golden Globes. Yeah. You know, you really want everyone at the table to be contributing and have those moments to be awesome and feel like they're really part of the story. Yeah, and that energy is what I feed on as a GM. And contributing looks different for everybody. I mean, they're, everybody has a different kind of play style, right. a different thing that they're trying to get from the game. Right. So it's not always like everybody gets a big scene as an actor. Sometimes it's this character got to really do a cool thing with their mechanics, or this person got to help somebody else see what the interesting thing was that they could do. We keep going back to superheroes. My jam. And I know if Jared is listening to this, he's like, why didn't I get to interview Alex? I like superheroes. <laughs> what is it about the superhero style games that keeps pulling you back in? One of the main things is the inherent fantasy. The what you're getting from a superhero story is very different from a traditional fantasy role playing game. I am very drawn to the idea of interesting characters who start off awesome. And you don't often get that in other genres of games. You're either a character who is obviously going to die from something terrible, uh, a la Cthulhu, <laughs> uh, or you're 
a rookie adventurer who is trying to come into their abilities, come into their power, and the growth is the point of the story for a fantasy game. Superheroes, it's about having the power to do right and having the power to make the world a better place. That's something that I really wish I had in real life, just an inherent ability to shape the world in such a way that everybody gets to be represented, everybody gets to be happy, everybody is provided for. That is sort of what I get from superheroes as a genre. And specifically as an RPG, uh, Mutants and Masterminds is attractive to me because I have the ability to create a character exactly the way I want. Mm-hmm. Instead of, okay, so I'm a first level wizard. If I don't die, I'll get access to a, a fire spell. And if I don't die again, I'll get access to a fireball. And if right. I die again, yeah, it's, I get to start off with all of the interesting toys and I get to start off telling interesting stories without having to grow into it. I think that's one of the things I've always liked about Mutants and Masterminds is mm-hmm. that there is a level system sorta but it's more you decide what level the game is starting at Mm -hmm. and if you want to be your average superheroes your power level 10 you want to be street level superheroes your power level 7 or Mm 8 if you want to be the justice league your power level 15 and above yeah yeah and those are great i mean it's it's having access to all the toys and getting to use them right and i will die on this hill hero points are the best betting mechanic (laughs) in the industry (laughs) I mean, I fully agree with that, too. I haven't quite gotten to the point of turning inspiration in D&D into a hero point mechanic, mm. but I've been real tempted. Mm-hmm. I roll my eyes every time I get inspiration in 5e. I'm like, this sucks. I don't want this. Don't even give it to me. <laughs> As written, it's, it, I, I, will, I, will, I will die on this hill. Mm. Nobody runs inspiration rules as written. No. Nobody Not does. Everyone treats it as a reroll. Mm-hmm. And I really wish there was just a better way to handle that reroll. Mm-hmm. Someday I might be brave enough to just steal the hero point mechanic from Mutants and Masterminds and be like, come on, I want my players to be badasses anyway. Yeah, it's, it sucks when you get a resource that you only get one of. Because inspiration, you can't stack it, generally speaking. Yeah. And you use it and then you roll the same or lower. I hate that very much. And I mean, I will say there is, there is the potential for frustration with a hero point mm-hmm. where, okay, you roll a one... And you, you spend your hero point, and then you roll an 11. Like, yeah. rolling an 11 is almost worse than rolling a 1. Because mm-hmm. at least if you roll a 1 again, you can turn that 1 into an 11. Yeah. But you roll an 11, you're just, you're, just, yeah. well, you're just mediocre. That's the lowest I can roll. But even then, you generally, when we're setting DCs for M&M, if you're doing something that is average difficulty, it is 10 plus the modifier. So if you roll an 11, you succeed. Like... <laughs> Most of the time. Most, most of the, the time. time. Sometimes there's harder stuff. There's circumstance penalties. There's, there's harder stuff or you're, you're spending it on a thing you are not good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like the character with no persuasion trying to persuade somebody. I mean, even then, you, if you have more hero points, you can spend a hero point to get beginner's luck as an advantage. You can spend another hero point to use beginner's luck and you get another plus five to whatever you're rolling. Yeah. yeah there are, if you have hero points stacked up, you can do cool things with them. <laughs> so what kind of things can we look forward to from Mutants and Masterminds in the near future? Uh, in the nearest future, uh, our M&M Kickstarter reprint has finally shipped from the printer, so we'll be able to start fulfilling those orders within the next month or two. Uh, we should definitely have a bunch of copies of the Deluxe Heroes Handbook, Gadget Guide, and the Power Profiles at Gen Con. Um, we have also sent Astonishing Adventures Assemble to print. Um, Astonishing Adventures Assembled is a collection of six of our Astonishing Adventures put in print for the first time. Those six adventures in turn, can be turned into one of three campaign series that were written by me, by Steve, and by Crystal. Nice. Um, so 
My campaign is my favorite, but that's because <laughs> I turned the big robot T-Rex into the prime antagonist of the entire campaign. Um, but Crystals and Steve's are awesome, too. Don't feel like you have to run mine. Um, can, you, can you string them all together? You can. The other thing that we have coming up is our new Valiant Adventures role-playing game, which is our licensed Valiant Comics Mutants and Mastermind sourcebook coming out uh, sometime in 2024. At one point... You had the license for DC mm-hmm. stuff. Do you still have the license for DC stuff? Or... No. Because those things keep changing hands anyway. Yeah. Uh, we had a license to publish four DC books. Okay. And we published those four books, and they have since moved the license on to somewhere else. I don't think I've seen them put out anything. I don't think so either. It'd be cool if we got to do it again. Yeah. But... And I mean, honestly, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm playing a DC-based game, I'm probably playing... One of your games, or one of our other friends' games. I'm I am blessed with the number of mutants and masterminds GMs in my life. Yeah, it's a good way to be. Uh, if you could find more mutants and masterminds GMs, please bribe them to come to your house and feed them with treats. Yes, yes. They they especially if they run good games mm-hmm. or want... kidnap them with gnomes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anything cool coming up with Untold Stories Project that people should be on the listen out for? So as we are getting into the back half of the year, one of the big things that we have coming up is our holiday one-shot series, which start in October, um, where we do a bunch of one-shots of different games to make sure we highlight a bunch of games towards the end mm-hmm. of the year, uh, generally starting with horror-themed stuff in October and then whatever the GMs want to run in November and December. Um, we also have our new podcast, uh, Heroes of Tomorrow, which is out, anywhere you can find podcasts. It follows a group of teen superheroes, plus my teddy bear, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, who is the best. <laughs> Don't tell the other players, but Henry and Eddie are my favorite. <laughs> and we have a mini-series coming out soon, uh, which is going to focus on the Freedom League and what they're up to while the Freedom League Dark is off uh, dealing with the Master Mage, uh, the multiverse of the Master Mage. Now, I know that you have a very soft spot in your heart for Superman. But I also know you have run a lot of other licensed, well, they're not licensed, but licensed properties mm-hmm. in Mutants and Masterminds. Like, I know for me alone, I have played X-Men, Midnight Suns, Gotham family stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've played your Justice League stuff, but I've played Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Is there one of these you, you kind of gravitate towards more than the others? Because I, I love your Guardians games, I... and I have heard amazing things about your Harley Quinn games. I will admit the Harley Quinn cartoon games are the ones I do for me. <laughs> um, you know how you're supposed to do one for them and one for you. The Harley Quinn cartoon games are very near and dear to my heart. But if I had to pick one that I do generally, and it, it comes in seasons. I mean, I think the Suicide Squad is probably the one I've written the most events for. But yeah, it's got to be one of those rebel teams like the Gotham City Misfits or the Suicide Squad or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Anywhere where it's a lot of characters who have that friction built in, but also are working together to accomplish something. Right. Um, I find sometimes with Justice League games, the characters are all on the same page, and everybody's like, yeah, we're here to solve the problem. There's room for a little grit. In yeah, there's, other... there's room for a little grit in those Justice League games if you've got the right players. Mm-hmm. If you like right telling players. Superman he damn well better do something about that Lex Luthor. But he never does. He never does. Yeah, but I just, I love, I love, in The Mummy, I run, I run The Mummy with Mutants and Masterminds, with Rick O'Connell and the sexiest cast assembled ever. <laughs> and I love those games. I just, I, I write where my passion is. Every year for convention season, I, I have this big backlog of adventures. And I'm like, no, I need to write something new. No, I need to write something new. I can't do again. 
uh, it was hard on me to go back and assemble this list of events so I could look at it and think, okay, maybe I need to do some repeats, or maybe... Yeah, there was a game I ran at Origins this year that I wish I had run twice, at least. Uh, I ran a Superman for All Seasons, which was sort of my love letter to Superman's role in the multiverse. Um, it was a collection of paragons from across a bunch of different universes coming together to stop an alliance of Ultraman, Homelander, and Omni-Man. I believe that I remember somebody excitedly telling me how they got to play Crypto. Yes. Yes, Vic got to play Crypto. But yeah, I had Superman, Supergirl, and Crypto were the DC characters, but I had Sam Wilson, Captain America, Sam Wise from The Lord of the Rings, uh, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Starlight from The Boys, Home, uh, Invincible from Invincible, uh, Hancock, because I wanted somebody who was gritty and maybe would be a jerk to everybody else, and Princess Leia. So it was a whole bunch of characters from all <laughs> over the place. Princess Leia didn't get played, which made me sad. Oh yeah, that's, that's why you gotta run it multiple times. Yeah, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if I didn't mention her, but she was also there. Did she get played? She did. She got played by a wonderful player who um, had a great time, and it was his first time. This well, Origins was his first time encountering mutants and masterminds, and uh, I even convinced him to come down and play in our big mega event. And he bought some M M&M and M stuff. I sent him a couple. Oh, nice. PDFs. So, in speaking of conventions, obviously Origins has just passed, but I'm assuming you'll be at Origins next year. I will be. Are you going to be at Gen Con this year? I will be at Gen Con this year, and I submitted my events a little late, but I do have four events. Awaiting approval, so hopefully they get approved. I'll be running a Suicide Squad game called Back in the USSR, where the Suicide Squad has to protect the Beatles during their first tour of the Soviet <laughs> Union, and the Suicide Squad is made of villains from the Adam West Batman show. Oh, God. Um, so that's going to be a hoot. So much scenery chewing. Yeah, it's, that's the only time I think I would offer the Joker as a character choice and not regret it. But I also am doing uh, to the Into the Idiot Box, which is a Freedom League adventure where they get pushed into TV land and have to fight their way across a number of genres of TV. Um, I'm running a Titan City game called The Dragon of Parkhurst Manor, where some magic kids find a dragon and have to reunite with its mother in the 1930s. And I'm running Superman for All Seasons again at Gen Con. Nice. Um, any other conventions coming up that people might find you at? Um, I will be at the. I'll be an honored guest of the Pittsburgh Game Expo this year in October. Uh, I'll be at UConn, which is actually in Ann Arbor, Michigan, yes. not Connecticut. Yes, Ann Arbor, Michigan, not Connecticut. Um, and obviously, I'll be running events at both of those. I haven't submitted my UConn events yet, but I should probably get on that. Uh, they haven't opened event okay. submission yet. Good. I know, because I will also be there. You should, everybody should come. It's great. It's, it's one of my favorite cons. It's, it's an amazing It's amazing convention. Yeah. Very well run. It's small, so you get to see everybody that you want yeah. to see. Not that Gen Con isn't a lot of fun. It's just... Gen it's Con is a very beast. different beast. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell our, our, our listeners before we start getting out of here? One more thing that I, um, I recently wrote and published was my first ever comic book. Ooh. It's called Chaotic Good, and it is a story of a number of players going through their first ever fantasy role-playing game. Uh, and you spend time with the characters, you spend time with the players, and it is intended to be a series of some length. I've written the first six issues, so hopefully we'll get all of those published. Is it available for purchase? It is. Reach out to me at alexanderwrites91 at gmail.com. I can facilitate the order either through me, or I'll ship it to you if you live in America, or through the artist I work with, uh, Stephanie Lean, who is in Canada. I can do shipments up there. Excellent, excellent. We'll make sure that all these links are in the show notes. Mm. So, I think we should start getting out of here. Uh, this show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You two can Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Friend Manacles. When you've got a friend you want to have stick around, you've got your friend manacles. Maybe they won't be a friend after you're done, but 
play it nice and we'll see. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you might enjoy one of the other shows in the network. Here's one to check out. Uh, Misdirected Mark. Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find me and the rest of the gnomes at gnomestew.com, gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Alex, where else can we find you on the internet? Uh, generally, you can find me at alexanderwrites.com or untoldstoriesprojects.com or greenroninpublishing.com. Greenroninpublishing.com. <laughs> well, might, just be, might just be greenroninpublishing.com. Try them both. See where you go. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Just don't tell us if we sent you someplace you're not supposed to be on the internet. Mm -hmm. So, do you think we survived getting thrown in the... Wait a second! What happened to the stew pot? It was here the last time I did an episode. Wait a second. Did, did, did Jared and Chris throw a party? Damn it! How am I supposed to keep the gnomes in line and in fear if I don't have a stew pot?